the magic words, which are, welcome to episode 16 of Blue Jays Happy Hour Live. We are coming to you after an exceedingly long and somewhat difficult to watch, I think it's fair to say, baseball game. This did not uh, pan out the way one expected a few innings of the game. Like There was a moment where it looked like, okay, Kevin Gosman is good, but not great per se in this outing. Maybe that's a little bit unfair even. like He was quite good, but you know, Cease is just on a different level, and the Blue Jays are simply not going to get the hits required to win this game. And then everything turns on a dime. The entire lineup gets walked. Um, and then out of nowhere, you have a Jordan Romano blow up, which we never see. And then the endless grind of extra innings. It, it, there's so many different segments of this game. It seems wild that we want to talk about any of them other than the umpiring right now, because that is what <laughs> truly, uh, dominated the game. So I, I will ask what sticks with you from this, uh, marathon that we've all experienced and knowing full well that the umpiring has to be part of that answer. Well, the umpiring has to be part of that answer. Yeah, uh, no, Cease was really good uh, when, especially when he gets that zone. Uh, we'll we'll talk about it, I'm sure. But uh, but that's just that's such a perfect zone for the way Cease works, and not one for just if you look at like the scatter plot of of how Kevin Gosman works. Like he's not throwing pitches to those areas nearly as often as uh, the you know the ones that were being generously called uh, strikes for Cease as often. So you know, I was mad about that for a while. Uh, and then it turned around. We also, you didn't even mention, uh, maybe the worst part of all was George Springer with his elbow going out. We don't, we don't know what's, uh, what's up with that just yet. Um, yeah, I don't know if I could pick one thing that, uh, that stands out except the umpiring and except the fact that, you know, the grind of extra innings, uh, grindy as that was, uh, certainly did get me off my seat and shouting at my TV a lot, which I guess is what it's intended to do. That, isn't that what sports was all about? Right, in a way, it is. Yeah, shouting at their TV. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you just want to pick at some of the other stuff in this game, like you know, you had the Kevin Biggio come up with a clutch hit against a 96 mile an hour fastball. We don't see that every day. We had you know a couple of amazing at bats from Alejandro Kirk. It does seem like we see that every day. Mm-hmm. The the Bradley Zimmer game saving catch. It's funny because. At one point, I was thinking in my head, isn't it kind of stupid the way defensive metrics work in the sense it's like, oh, these are outs above average or uh, you know, even runs above average. But there are times when you can point to a moment where a, a play literally is a win or a loss. And I understand that we can't bake the context into everything there, and maybe we could do a leverage index for defense or something like that. Um, that would take more work than I'm willing to do and probably anyone else. And I understand why it doesn't exist, but it seemed like in a moment he had literally made a play that was worth one game. Like the Blue Jays weren't able to uh, pull out a win and they weren't able to keep the next lead they got. But there was a moment where this amazing dive and catch, which I don't think Springer makes, and I'm not saying that because I think Springer's a bad fielder. I just don't think he makes that play. Zimmer's got outstanding speed. Um, it is weird because it's the sort of thing that gets a hundred percent lost if you lose. Like if you win, we talk about that, and that's a huge part of this whole story. And just because Matt Gage couldn't shut it down, and you know, you you don't really expect him to. To be fair, like that's a tough ask for him to with these rules 
shut out uh, a decent White Sox lineup. So I'm not blaming him because that happened. You know, that kind of fades into our memory, and you know, Zimmer goes back to being the guy with the uh, WRC plus around 25, uh, as opposed to the guy who <laughs> saved the whole game. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. You're right about Gage. I mean, man, he's one strike away from from prolonging this. Um, you know, the the double play uh, with the infield in the the. the uh, that Bichette and Kirk turned as well was uh, was a play that we won't talk about very much because it now has become inconsequential. I mean, I think we could talk about how Romano and Meza were bad and how that's uh, you know that second time in a row for. I mean, Meza wasn't as bad as Romano, but um, like those are the guys you desperately need at a time where uh, you know Matt Gage is uh, is creeping up the depth chart in the bullpen, which is not ideal. Uh, but he did. He, you know, he held himself well. He probably won't be here tomorrow because they probably need a fresher arm. Because uh, as you tweeted, Nick, you know, uh, everybody's ready to, for, for Ross Stripling to throw 120 pitches tomorrow afternoon. Um, you know, uh, it, it was just it was a, there was so much. Also, the fire Tony innings when it was going well was crazy. The White Sox got you know got the fans got on Tony a lot. Uh, you know, he the, he had a lead in the eighth and went to a, a reliever not as good as Kendall Graveman, who he ended up using in extra innings. Um, you know, the Let's Go Blue Jays chants were going. Everything was going really. Uh, it was such a wonderful, beautiful turnaround from a game that was so frustrating when Gosman had pitched. Not perfectly, but certainly well enough to win. And uh, they were just up against two unstoppable monsters in Dylan Cease and Doug Eddings. Yeah, I mean, what a combo. Uh, Iconic, (laughs) truly an iconic pair. Um, I mean, Kevin Gosman does deserve a little bit of a mention here because there's been so much concern about his performances lately, and rightfully so. They have not been good performances from sort of the tipping worries uh, to the fact that he just, you know, had not picked well against pretty bad competition, to be honest. And this was the first outing in a while where it felt like he was himself. Now, there were a couple of issues with that. He didn't actually throw a lot of splitters. He threw more sliders. That might have had something to do with the strike zone that he was seeing. Like, he saw that there was maybe an opportunity in that horizontal area uh, well off the plate that was, for some reason, a strike. Um, and so that may have affected how he used his sliders, but he did get the whiffs on the splitters at a, at a good rate. He got the swings on the splitters. Like they were having a hard time laying off it. And that's the first time in a while where it seems like he's faced a lineup, especially a credible lineup with some decent hitters that have, that really had a hard time laying off the splitter. And if anything, he maybe could have thrown it more and it might've been a case where the confidence in the pitch wasn't totally there, but the pitch itself seemed to be there. And the velocity was really good too. So there's a lot that you can, if you're going to take anything positive away from the game, which was a long game that burned up the whole bullpen and George Springer got hurt. And there's not a lot from it that ultimately you want to take away. That's a positive. One thing you could say is that um, Gosman looked significantly better than we've seen. And there's a reason to believe that he can replicate that going forward. Or at least <laughs> that maybe he's over the hump a bit. And uh, didn't burn up the whole bullpen. I think Trent Thornton's going to be available tomorrow. There you go. You're going to have yeah. uh, the dynamic duo of Ross Strickland and Trent Thornton. <laughs> not tomorrow. quite as iconic as Dylan Cease and Doug Eddings, but uh, no, yeah, not a lot of great. You know, the, there was there, there were moments. It was. I mean, it was a uh, for a neutral, as they would say in uh, in the football world uh, of the soccer football world. Uh, I'm sure that was some, some very interesting and excellent entertainment, especially if you were not in the Eastern time zone. But, uh, 
uh, yeah, we'll see. It's it, it, it's going to take. A, I'm 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 drinking a coffee at like at midnight or at twelve forty five because I'm going to attempt to sort through some of it after we're off here. But it, it, it's there's a lot, like you say, there's a lot of segments that that uh, uh, that are going to be easy to overlook. And unfortunately, just to watch the the stupid White Sox celebrate at the end was not great because because also the Blue Jays. Uh, you know, not going that great at the moment. They need they need the wins. The, the Yankees lost tonight. I think did the Red Sox lose. I think uh, either way, it doesn't they, that matters less. I mean, the Rays won because they're playing the Yankees. But uh, I mean, maybe we shouldn't even frame the rest of the season in terms of trying to catch the Yankees. But I'll still do that. Uh, but but you know, uh, you'd rather see them get closer to them than fall back more to the pack. And and I don't think there's anything to worry about with, you know, where the team is, is headed, but not ideal. Just gives you more work to do later on. Yeah. I mean, we've talked before about how, you know, dismissing their chances of catching the Yankees felt a little bit sillier. That's a little bit different now. You know, we haven't spoken since this Yankee series, obviously they only get so many chances to kind of take bites out of that lead they failed to do that and if it weren't for that fairly miraculous game at the end of that series uh it could have been really nasty in that regard like you said they're they are in a bit of a slump right now and you know i'm not saying that the blue jays should be concerned about the red sox big picture uh but the rays are a good team the red sox are a really hot team and at the very least you kind of hope that you know you give yourself a chance if the Yankees totally fall apart, which is always on the table with the health of some of the guys that they have there, um, and then you're significantly kind of ahead of the other guys and not even really worried about them, and now that grouping of the Red Sox and Rays is starting to gain ground on them, and the Yankees are starting to go away. And you, the last thing you want is to be totally in the middle of that pack as opposed to that position they seem to have kind of carved out for themselves where they were, yes, behind the Yankees, but they didn't have anything to worry about with the other teams and uh, it feels a bit different right now. It, it does. It certainly does. We got, uh, we got Joe on the line. Let's, let's take Joe's call. Shall we? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, we're here to serve the people. Uh, Joe, good to talk to you again. Yeah. It's good to talk to you. And I got to say, it's very good that I wasn't in Chicago for this game because <laughs> a four hour game where the temperatures are like a billion degrees and the uh, umpire is just calling everything in sight. That seems not like a fun experience. No, I don't know that it would be. I mean, the new extra inning rule, like I was saying earlier, it does, it does, those innings grind a little bit more differently than they used to. Uh, you know, I've been to a, I've been to a real hot, like seventeen inning game, uh, and I got to tell you, it's not all that pleasurable. And, and you kind of, uh, as as you know, to wear the badge of honor as like a real fan, you're like, I'm not leaving this game. That would be absurd. Um, but you know, they stopped serving beer at the, the you know middle of the seventh or end of the seventh, and uh, you know, <laughs> that, that's a lot. That's a lot of drinking water uh, and sitting in the hot sun, uh, and, and then here's is- what you get. Baseball is kind of infuriating as it is. You don't need to bring heat into that equation, I don't think. <laughs> well, it, it, it helped Kevin Gosman uh, throw a little harder, I think. I think everybody was – all those muscles were loose. Nobody was uh, tightened up. Uh, you know, it didn't really help the ball fly out of the ballpark as much, maybe, as you would have hoped. Uh, we could have ended one sooner. I don't feel that it helped Doug Eddings. Maybe he had some sweat in his eyes half the night. 
Yeah, I mean, they they mentioned on the broadcast how, you know, I think Dan Schulman was taken back a little bit by how angry, like he used the word angry to describe the crowd, um, which is not a word that would often come out of his mouth you know, because it, it's a bit inflammatory to sort of accuse a crowd of being sort of an angry, <laughs> you know, mob-like crowd. And yet he kept kind of coming back to that. Um, and I'm sure that he played a role in that. Like, people are physically uncomfortable, and that's going to make them more inclined to be angry, uh, more inclined to have strong reactions. Um, you know, and and they were reacting to strike zone too. And there there were some notable calls that went in the Blue Jays' favor. I think the ump cards or whatever that comes out tomorrow will show that it went in the White Sox' favor. Uh, it seemed like by a significant margin. We'll see what those numbers end up being. But there but were, if you take Santiago Espinal away, so so I was just gonna say if you take Santiago Espinal away, then it's uh, then it evens out probably because he was the one oh, who was really man. getting hosed. Yeah. They, they should grade three entities, the Blue Jays, the White Sox, and Santiago Espinal, <laughs> and then we'll see where they're at. I mean, yeah, they, the Espinal stuff is, it, especially with him being in the middle of the slump, like as a, from a, you know, one human to another, you just feel empathy for a guy who is actually working good at bats and, you know, deserve to get something out of them. And I know that he ultimately got one walk today and six trips to the plate, but uh, under different circumstances, you have to believe that he has a different day. And uh, I I can't recall seeing a single hitter who appeared to be as victimized by umpiring. And, you know, it's easy to be prisoner of the moment or whatever. But I don't know. I can't recall a single time I've seen a particular player where I thought, wow, this guy, like, pitch in, pitch out, every single bat, he is being hurt by the guy behind the plate. Yeah. I mean, I think at some point you have to – well, I don't know. It's so it's so tough. It's so tough because it's just a, you have to think about the different eras. I think maybe you know, I, I, uh, like, like I, it's easy to be like, well, you gotta you gotta expand your zone when the umpire expands the zone. But it's like these guys are so specialized and so like attuned to this stuff that I I think that's harder to do. Like it's kind of it reminds me of the like, well, just hit it the other way if they're if they're shifting on you kind of thing, right? Um, because, you know, it, it, it must be weird to get out of the, like, to, like, he was doing the right things. He was doing the things he was supposed to do. I think the, you know, that, the Gosman thing as well, like you mentioned the sliders, he was maybe trying to make use of that extended part of the zone that is in a place where it's very difficult to hit the pitch because it's, it's five inches off the plate. Um, you know, but there's only so much of that you can do just because of, you know, the nature of how he pitches versus the nature of, like, where Cease just works naturally and why that was such a great strike zone for him. Yeah, it's pretty hard to rewire your brain, even in a four-hour period. You know, like, <laughs> these guys, like you said, they've been taught to hit a certain way. Generally speaking, they've been rewarded for, you know, think about a guy like Alejandro Kirk. Even Espinal is pretty good from a play discipline standpoint. And so this has always been beneficial to take these pitches and swing at these ones. And they have, you know, a very a small fraction of a second to make these decisions. And also, even when the umpiring is terrible, and I cannot emphasize enough how terrible it was. And I, you, if you guys are listening in live, like, you know, you don't need to hear me say this, but I, we do have people who are going to listen later. Those of uh, many of them may have missed the game or went to bed early or whatever, didn't get the whole masterpiece of shitty umpiring that went on <laughs> i cannot emphasize enough how bad it was that being said even when the worst strike zone is being put before you they still make the call more than 50 percent of the time right so 
you still have to believe on any given pitch. Maybe maybe fifty. We'll see what the ump scorecard is. Like I, I don't know how low it goes. <laughs> but like even on when a guy has just created a totally uh, abstract, oblong, bizarre strike zone, like we saw today, you still have to believe that the chances of getting one of these horrible calls has definitely been increased. You know twofold, threefold, fourfold, whatever that number is. But still, more often than not, if you're going to go binary, your hope would be that you're going to get the right call. You just have to be aware that the chances of being screwed are higher. I don't know. Like The the swing decision thing is already so hard and so complicated under the best of circumstances. Uh, I think it's pretty hard to penalize guys today for not adjusting to this insane circumstance. Uh, I think you're right. I also, do, I would say that uh, that that, you know, it wasn't. It was maybe more consistent early on, but I think he lost the plot a bit. Uh, there were definitely some strikes or some some balls called to Meza and Romano that uh, that were that became strikes again later that were you know off the plate. But had, he'd been calling those all night. Those were more inside than the outs to right handers than the outside ones. But there were definitely uh, you know it's it, it's going to be. It's going to be a Jackson Pollock. I guess I guess a pitch chart really always is, but it's going to be weird looking at the balls and strikes on this one because there's going to be there's going to be some strange things going on. Um, we got a question in the chat from John, which is more big picture stuff, which uh, uh, we're going to do here right now. And he asks, "Why is the org so bad at developing pitchers? Six years, Manoa, Romano, Amaza, and that's it. Simber's really the only guy, good guy that they've gotten in a trade." Uh, 29th swinging strike rate. I think that's more the bullpen, but I'm not sure. It's been six years, and we're in a division with the Yankees and the Rays, who are elite. The other two teams are run by guys from Houston and Tampa. Uh, it's not ever. About, it's not even about tonight. It's six years, and there's one guy in this pen who can strike people out. Um, maybe not how I would phrase that question, but I, I can call it a fair question because the, the Rays and the, the Yankees definitely. Uh, do have do have a better system, a better pipeline of just you know big, giant, hard throwing, strike throwing goons. Uh, the Yankees in particular, um, which you know I, I'm not sure if it's I'm not sure if it's fair to, to paint the Blue Jays uh, player development uh, system as being quite so bereft. I think that they also you know look it's not a great moment for Jose Barrios right now, but that's that's a guy they got in trade. Uh, you know, they traded for Robbie Ray, won a Cy Young. Uh, you know, I think there, I think there's a bunch of I think there's a bunch of, of things, but I you know a bunch of guys you can go down the list. But uh, I'm also uh, a little I'm sympathetic to the fact that yeah, here we are once again wondering about the bullpen, like complaining about the bullpen, wondering who's going to be the guy who comes in, comes in and gets swing and miss, uh, and that was tough to do for them. They didn't really accomplish that job in the winter. They they you know uh, they didn't they didn't even seem to try as hard as they did last year when they went out and got Kirby Yates. Uh, the bullpen has been a bit of an afterthought, and that's sort of a, a, a you know not it's not like it's a forethought for the Yankees and the Rays either. I think it's more that they just have the system in place, and maybe the Jays are a little behind uh, where they are. And I think a lot of teams are obviously behind those two teams, so that that, that you know anybody's going to pale in comparison. Um, and there are certainly some real, real interesting arms coming up, uh, uh, you know, in the lower minors or in, you know, guys in Vancouver, guys in Dunedin. Um, but yeah, there is a, uh, there is a lack of those kind of guys. Uh, and it would be nice if they could just conjure one up from AAA, but there, that, that's, uh, that's just not where the org is at right now. Yeah. And you know, it's noteworthy when you look at this rotation, for instance, I know this, this question's about the bullpen largely, but 
you know, you've got Barrios, Gosman, Stripling, Kikuchi, and then, you know, Ryu is there as well. Like, those guys all came from outside the organization. It's pretty clear, like, you go through the bullpen, you know, Simber, Phelps, Gage, Thornton, Garcia. The vast majority of those guys came from outside the organization. And, you know, Tim Mesa's been kicking around for a long time. Like, he kind of predates the current administration. Um, it It is worth questioning. I think, you know, what they did with Ray was fantastic and Mats and whatnot. That's kind of more coaching at the major league level. And those guys deserve credit, too. I think it's too easy to be like, oh, the coach fixed him. Um, but the pitching they have, the vast majority of it comes from outside the organization. And that is indicative that inside the organization, they have not found many pitchers. Now, it's not easy to do. Finding a good starter is really hard. There's a reason that doing it sort of the Cubs way, where you build a um, you know a core of young position players, and then you go and buy the pitching that's already reliable, already durable, that makes sense. That's a model that worked, obviously, for Chicago, and they looked like they were set up for a dynasty for a while there, and it didn't quite pan out that way. Um, but the Blue Jays definitely look like that team, and they don't look like the team that's consistently able to turn promising young arms into MLB contributors. And when they reach down into AAA, they tend to pull up rela- replacement-level guys as opposed to pulling up guys like the Rays would. And the Rays are a tough comparison because they're, like, the best at this. Um, but pulling up guys that are intimidating. And at, at a certain point, it seems, too, like the Blue Jays decided that velocity and swing and miss wasn't the priority. Uh, you know, you got guys like Mesa and Simber and Phelps, and those are some of their best guys, but those aren't really, you know, blow-you-away guys. Like, even Mesa tonight. Like, I don't think he pitched awful by any means, um, but he's not suited to that situation. He's not suited to a situation where you absolutely need to get the strikeout pop-up to prevent a run from crossing the plate because he's a ground ball guy and he's a soft contact guy, and there's nothing wrong with that. He's a good pitcher, and they're lucky to have him. But they, you know, something we're going to talk about, for I'm sure, for weeks and weeks and weeks until the deadline is over, that they need the guys who can come in and blow someone away. And they were unfortunate that Merriweather wasn't that guy. It looked like he might be. Garcia hasn't been quite the guy that I thought he was, even though he's been effective at times. Nate Pearson on the injured uh, train again. So they had some guys who conceivably could have filled this role, and I understand why they might have believed that that's how it would play out. But it, it's a serious issue for them right now. Yeah, no, it uh, it very much is, and those uh, you know some of those guys are. I think it does come down to acquisition costs. Obviously, you know Simber, they jumped the market a bit, got a you know, got, got a guy who didn't fit that shape because I think it was you know the price for for Simber and Corey Dickerson was Joe Panic and some money like that. That was an absurdly good trade. Um, but yeah, there have been you know and you know Phelps would decide a minor league deal with an invite and like uh and like a guarantee if you made the big league roster like those are those are smart acquisitions but yeah you do start to line up a bullpen of too many guys like that and and this is sort of what you get and uh, yeah it's it's not it, it's not an unfair thing to wonder about for sure yeah, and I mean, Manoa is such a success story and really didn't require much time in the minors. Like, that was such a huge part of his story um, that it is worth thinking about, you know, how many guys are they taking from single A and moving them up to double A and triple A and kind of going from start to finish with and turning them into polished big leaguers on the pitching side because that doesn't seem to be happening and it hasn't happened in a while. And it seems like that 
even their kind of recent crop, and I know none of these guys were top-notch prospects, but there was a time when you were kind of hoping Anthony Kay, Thomas Hatch, Trent Thornton was sort of a young battalion of bottom-of-the-rotation starters, if nothing else. And it, it kind of turns out that maybe they're more seventh, eighth starters. And, you know, Thornton's actually been all right at the bullpen this year. But that's sort of the most recent young group of starters they've had. And their ceilings didn't look that high. And it looks like they're not even really going to hit what people might have thought their floors were. So I understand that you can see that we can see this common and it might seem like a reach and exaggeration. But I I 100% get where people's frustration is coming from because you kind of have to see, you know, as much as we think of it as a franchise with good process and they do focus on player development, you do have to see the results at a certain point. It's the way early on when they talked about the high performance thing and it just didn't seem like that was resulting in anything. It sounds kind of silly. So you could really say that on the pitching side, the results haven't been there in terms of developing players kind of from the beginning, bringing them along and creating depth. And that doesn't mean it'll never happen. Like you said, there's some really talented, interesting pitching prospects in the organization right now in recent drafts. The last draft, I believe, was very pitching heavy. So we this might seem like very silly to question this in three years, but questioning it right now, I think, is valid. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, also, you forget, I mean, assuming Woods Richardson was here, Gunnar Holgood was here, Nate Pearson is, is uh, you know, we could talk more about that. That's a, uh, you don't want to hear shoulder for anybody, especially a pitcher. Um, especially a guy who just can't stay healthy. I don't know if this makes him a reliever. I mean, we got to see really what the severity is, but uh, just every new piece of information you get on Nate Pearson is like, well, it seems like the reliever thing is going to happen and, and needs to happen. But uh, that can maybe be a guy if he can stay healthy and he's you know still young enough and still experienced enough that uh, that could I think could entirely be one of those guys who would. Always struggled with injuries until he didn't, you know, an AJ Burnett style thing. But that's, you know, I mean, at this point, what a blessing an AJ Burnett career would be for that guy, which is sort of, you know, not what anybody was thinking at first when he was sort of rocketing up the the, uh, uh, the top prospects list. But uh, uh, we'll see there. But there's nothing you can do at this point with him, and there's nothing you can. He's, you know, he's like another Ryu. It's like, well, you can't rely on him at this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, and very different, obviously, him is a bonus, really. Yeah, uh, and and that maybe that'll be a, a you know future hindsight will be like that was a silly thing to say because he ends up being a key part of this bullpen for a long time, and that's all on the table. But you know, like you said, when was the last time we heard something positive about Nate Pearson? It's a lot has happened since then. Um, this is true. Also, eating up service time, right? He's on the big league IL, so. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, so that that's just gonna, that's going to limit that's going to limit his chances and 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 put him on the clock towards, you know, be you know pitching his way into being a non-tender guy. Yeah, and and then well, that that's really, way ahead, but that forces him to be a reliever, right? Because you can't really like hold a rotation spot on the roster for him. Uh, so you're right; that does kind of work towards deciding his fate. But I think or know, or in another organization where they have you know, more time to let him figure it out, which is maybe the, what's eventually going to be the ideal thing, but he'll, he'll have to get healthy first. He can always go to the pirates and be slowly ruined by them. Somehow become a sinker baller throws 91. That's <laughs> always, it's always on the table. Um, before we get out of here, cause this is going to be, you know, a relatively short episode for, you know, our ability to sleep, your ability to sleep. 
Um, you know, the fact this is a pretty grim game to come off of a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a high note, a little bit of a positive today is sort of the, is the all-star results, specifically <laughs> those surrounding Alejandro Kirk. Uh, I think earlier we kind of questioned like, you know, obviously Kirk has been fantastic and he's well-deserving of this all-star spot. The bat has been incredible. The defense has improved. He's been a you know a through line for the whole Blue Jays season. He's I think he's been the best story of their season to be honest. But we kind of question: Does he have name recognition? Is he going to get the support? And not only does he get the support, like it would take something absolutely insane for him not to start the All Star game at this point. You know, third highest vote getter among the AL, uh, blowing away every catcher under the sun. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's a good story. And also what is less of a good story is the, uh, the rest of the Blue Jays getting votes and the blowback associated with that. Although it does seem a little bit like there's kind of one tweet that everyone uh, yeah. <laughs> glommed onto. And, like, that may not be reflective of all of the sentiment coming from uh, south of the border. But as Canadians, we often uh, can get prickly from any sign of danger. Uh, and sort of the tweet about, oh, we need to vote people who aren't the Blue Jays. They've got a whole country, yada, yada, yada. We can talk about geography and the population of Canada compared to certain areas of the U.S. and how silly that is. Uh, and also the fact that the Blue Jays guys are all largely, you know, if they're not, quote unquote, the worthiest, they're pretty much there. You know, we're not putting an Andrew Wiggins starting the All-Star game situation out there. You know, even if Santiago Espinal gets it or, you know, Bo Bichette obviously hasn't necessarily been the best, but, you know, he's been pretty good for a lot of the season as well. And, you know, Kirk is the big story because of the outstanding numbers. And I think generally speaking, the funniest part of all of this is the Danny Jansen DH thing. He is in fourth. Uh, he's not a DH. He's been injured for most of the season. If anything, as a response to this mini pushback, I'd love to see a campaign to get him as the starting <laughs> DH for the All Star game. <laughs> well, he'd be healthy, and uh, one hopes. But uh, that's the—he seems like he'll be back on the field before then. But also, who knows with Danny Jansen when he's going to to need some more time off. But yeah, I, I, you're right. I think was it was it you that tweeted that he's DH'd like zero times compared to 18 times for Kirk, which is. Uh, Truly hilarious, and and uh, someone whoever it was was like MLB knows what they're doing, uh, but it is it's a great it's a great story, and it's a, it's so deserving, and I, you know I'm fine with some you know George Springer he's a star I, you can quibble whether you know there there are other stars having better years that could be uh, that could be voted ahead of him uh, Vlad Bo put him in the All Star game you, uh, same thing and and the, the Kirk thing is 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 quite wonderful and remarkable in that. You know, it's not just pure homerism because, you know, it's not just every Blue Jays fan is out there putting an entire ballot full of Blue Jays. Like some people are, uh, you know, clearly or they, you know, or they would all have the same total. Uh, but like Alejandro Kirk is, is legitimately ahead. And that's also from support from around the league. Because, I mean, if you're actually serious and you pay attention and you're looking at, you know, war leaders and the best hitting catchers in baseball and all of that stuff, especially in the American League in particular, since that is literally what we're talking about, um, yeah, he's he's absolutely deserving, and it's gonna be it, it, it's going to be a, a delightful story. It's gonna be he'll be you know there'll be the soft focus feature on the All Star telecast. It'll make the All Star game worth watching. Uh, the prickliness from that one that one account and whoever I don't know whoever else is prickly about it. Um, 
Frankly, it made me prickly too because of, because you know there's just there's so many fans and this is, I tweeted this you know, there's so many fans here in Canada so many Blue Jays fans uh, that you know Rogers Rogers should really leverage that into being able to have a higher payroll than where they are right now which I think is 11th ranked and then Shapiro said well we can't be like top three but maybe like top eight top five sort of a thing I don't know if he's ever put a number on it. But that's sort of the sense you get. And it's like, well, why? Why? How can you? You're not doing your job well if you can't turn these number of fans into uh, your ostensible job into, you know, some more revenue, you know, enough revenue to have a higher payroll than what you have. Not that, again, as I think this is how I prefaced my tweet earlier today, which was, uh, you know, it's out of fashion to complain about payroll because they have been doing much better. But this, this stuff just sticks in my craw. And I know the dollars are different, but uh, it really is a, a smack you in the face kind of moment of like, look at how many Blue Jays fans there really are. Uh, it, it, there's just, there's a ton out here. And uh, I said ostensibly doing his job because I think partly what the job is, is, uh, is to fudge the amount of money that, uh, th- that they could actually spend and to sort of keep it within, you know, the realm of, uh, what seems reasonable within baseball. So, uh, that, that brings back all these horrible, horrible thoughts of the, you know, all the economics we talked about all winter, which I don't want to think about, but I would love to think about Alejandro Kirk getting that start, getting that, you know, get getting that interview on the field, get all of the all of the stuff uh, that goes with with being an all star because you know he's just you know he, he's just a different you know he's just a differently shaped ball player who's like preternaturally good at hitting the baseball and has come such a long way as a catcher. Uh, you know, signed for nothing. You know, the whole the whole bit pro, like so young push. You know, the whole story is. Uh, uh, is really great, and uh, and and to get to see him have his profile raised is going to be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Some great uh, photos of him and his dad, who is like truly just another him. Uh, <laughs> I do, I do think you make an important point about the Blue Jays and payroll, and just the size of this fan voice, fan base. It's an incredibly large fan base. Um, you know, it because it's span. You know, it's a big city. It's a big country. Um, the Blue Jays have done a good job of marketing themselves kind of across provincial lines. If you think about sort of the provincial divisions uh, in Canada in a general sense, getting uh, all of Canada behind anything is pretty difficult. Um, so they deserve some credit for that. And kind of to that end, this guy, Adam Seaborn, uh, on Twitter, he tw- he's a sports media analyst, uh, Canadian, and he tweets about a lot of kind of ratings and things of that nature. And I, I thought he had an interesting tweet today. Because this guy, you know, another, this guy, Austin Karp, was tweeting about the Yes Network and their most viewed games and the Blue Jays, Yankees one being a huge game for them. And that ended up being uh, the most viewed game since July 2018, which was 495,000 viewers. And then the Blue Jays and C1 tweets, well, the Blue Jays over at Sportsnet is 880,000. Like, you know, they're getting significantly high, like way higher ratings than, you know, basically are accessible to any American team. And, you know, there's the whole Rogers ownership and them paying themselves for the rights and the snake eating its own tail. And it's awfully complicated. But the fact of the matter is the money may be moving around in a sort of shell game type of fashion, but it's there. Like there, this is a big revenue fan base and saying, Hey, we can be kind of in that top 10 area uh, sounds nice in co- in the context of what Blue Jays fans have seen before and what the team has been in recent years. So it, it is an improvement. And as he said, it's gone out of style to complain about it because the payroll keeps going up. 
but there's clearly room for growth here. And uh, this was a nice reminder that there are just tons of Blue Jays fans out there. Yeah, uh, to, to just very quickly, I know we're about ready to get out of here, but to play Mark Shapiro for a second, I will say, I mean, if you go watch American TV for any length of time, you'll see pharma ads and political ads. There's just so much dollars running through the, like those branches of the industry that are not here, which I, which does affect the difference in what you know a pair of eyeballs on a screen is worth. But when you're having when when you're when a regular old Blue Jays game is double the the viewership of, uh, and I think it's probably measured differently too. And I'm sure there's all sorts of complications that we could just never possibly understand. But but I, I would like them to be explained to me someday in a real a like <laughs> yeah by somebody without a vested interest in it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I am glad that Blue Jays games don't contain just tons and tons of catheter commercials. I will say that. Uh, <laughs> even, if, even if it means they have to get one or two fewer veteran relievers, that's a trade-off <laughs> I'm willing to I don't. I don't need to see the general in my life ever. Insurance, insurance is another one, right? That's huge there. Anyway, yeah, that, that's a good place to leave it. Um, I don't – just end it on catheters if you have the opportunity. Um <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. People who came in live, uh, wow. We love the dedication, whatever time zone you're in, for uh, staying up with us. And we apologize that we have some of the, you know, uh, the foggier, more fatigue-riddled brains in this particular episode. Um, and we also appreciate people who tune in later, continue to subscribe and give ratings and reviews and all that good stuff that is helpful for us. And we will see you later this week. All right. Thank you, everybody.